You maybe had some difficulties this week, right? You know, we all have lions in our lives. As a metaphor, those things that we face that are challenges that just pop up sometimes so unexpectedly and it, and it wouldn't be quite so bad, but sometimes they last for a long time. They don't just show up and the solution doesn't arrive about 10 seconds later and everything goes on in our lives without any problems. What lions did we face? Man, there are so many things that we could throw in here as examples. It can be things even like our workplace, our, our going to work every week, every day. There may be a boss, an administrator, or someone, maybe a peer who is just making our life miserable. Or maybe there's a task that we are just struggling with accomplishing. And we wake up every morning knowing we've got to go face that lion. Sometimes it's something as as tragic as a sinful habit. Now, I'd like to think none of us struggle with those sinful habits on a weekly or a daily basis. But we do. You know, I remember when the Lord spoke to Cain and says, you know, it's, it's like a lion crouching at the door just waiting to pounce. We have these things. We want to be free of them. We want to get past them. We want to walk in the total freedom that Christ has for us. But, golly, there's just our own desires, our, our fleshly lusts, and then there's the enemy who's constantly just enticing us with that sinful desire. It's a lion we face continually, so many of us. There's the, the something more practical, doesn't seem as serious, but it can drive you crazy. Our schedules. Some of us take on so much with the best of intentions, but the weight of it begins to crush us, and we, we can almost wake up with anxiety knowing what we've got to do in that day. There's so many things that we plug into the schedule that it's starting to crush us. Something like even that, that we can take control of, can be one of those lions in our lives. This is one that kind of hits close to home today. Situations with our loved ones, sickness, disease. We watch, we pray, we believe, and they just get worse and they get worse. And there's nothing we can do about it. It weighs on us. It's one of those lions in our life that we have to face down. And it can be family situations. Marriages where one spouse or the other is almost cold towards the other spouse. Or it can be in the family where we see children that are straying from the Lord and it breaks our heart. All of these things can weigh on us and can be lions that we have to face. Now, by now, you might have begun to figure out we're going to be in chapter 6 of the book of Daniel. There is someone that has an answer to those lions that we face in our lives. There's someone who's in the business of providing hope when we're facing those lions in our life. Not just hope, there's someone who's providing answers to us as we face those lions. And there's someone who gives us strength to face those lions in our life. Now, I'm assuming and hoping that most everybody knows who that someone is here today. But as we go through Daniel chapter 6, you'll know for sure who it is. The title of the message this morning is part of the Heaven Rules series that we've been doing. And the title this morning is A Life of Faithfulness. A Life of Faithfulness. And we're going to be, as I said, in chapter 6 of Daniel. I'm going to read a number of the verses to begin with. 
share and fill in some of the gaps between some of the verses that I don't read. It's a story that most of us, if we ever went to Sunday school or been around church much at all, we've all heard the story. We just simply refer to it as Daniel in the lion's den. But I want to start reading in verse 1. It says this, It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps, some of your translations just call them princes, to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the other administrators and satraps, they tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel, charges in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to find any. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, I will never find any basis for charges against this Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Daniel's life was being lived in such a way that it seemed impeccable in the natural. Even these people who were filled with jealousy and envy, and he was kind of getting in their way. If you read those first couple of verses again, it says that three administrators were set over all these other people because the king would suffer loss. In other words, they were corrupt as all get out. And Daniel wasn't playing their game. He was honest and a man of integrity. So they had to do something about that. So they set a trap. They understand that the only thing that they can get him in trouble for is something to do with his faith. Something to do with his relationship with God. So they go to the king, Darius. And this manipulation is going to turn around and bite him good come the end of the story. But they come to him and they, they, they go after his pride. Oh, king, we think you should make a decree. And that decree should say this, something to the effect that no man or God should be worshipped for the next 30 days except you. You can almost see King Darius's pride and his ego saying, yeah, sounds good to me. And they say, go ahead and make this decree. And, and if anybody is found to violate that decree, they're going to suffer at the lion's den, death, by having their bodies tore apart by the lions. And, O king, just a reminder, according to the rules of the, the Medes and the Persians, if you make a decree like this, it's an irrevocable decree. And the king says, sounds good to me. So they make this decree. And then in verse 10, it says this. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and they found Daniel praying and asked God, asking God for help. The trap had been set. All of these enemies of Daniel thought they had him. He was theirs now. So they run to the king like a bunch of tattletales. 
telling the king and reminding him, O king, remember that decree you passed? That no one should worship any god or any man except you for 30 days. Oh, yeah, I remember. I remember that. Of course I do. And their little god. Well, we got a problem. There's someone who is violating that. It's one of those Jewish Hebrews. Daniel has been caught praying. And as soon as the king hears that, he's sick to his stomach. Right away, he regrets the decree. Because Daniel was held in such high esteem, as we read in the first couple of verses, not only was he one of the three administrators over all of the other satraps, he was going to be put in charge of everything. And now, by the king's own words, he's doomed to be thrown into the lion's den. And the king tries as he may during the whole day, trying to figure out a way to get Daniel out of this mess that the king has put him in by the manipulation of all of these leaders. And the leaders throw it back in his face one more time, saying, hey, well, yo, king, remember, remember our, lo- our laws, our rules? Once you made that decree, that decree's been signed, sealed, and delivered. You can't change it. Daniel needs to be thrown into the lion's den. So in verse 16, so the king gave the order, And they brought Daniel, and they threw him into the lion's den. And then the king said to David, listen to those words, coming from a pagan king. He says, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. May your God, who you serve continually, a life of faithfulness. You serve him continually, without exception. May he rescue you. So he's throwing in. A stone is put in front of the the lion's den. It's sealed with the the king's seal. And Daniel is thrown into the lion's den. And can you imagine about that moment, all those other guys, all of the other leaders, all the other administrators, all the other satraps, the princes, whatever you want to call them, man, they thought they had this thing. I'm sure the devil was rejoicing. God had a different plan. The king was so upset It tells us in the scriptures that he couldn't even sleep. He couldn't eat. It says they, he wouldn't even receive any entertainment because he was worried about Daniel in the lion's den. Verse 19, at the first light of dawn, the king gets up and he runs to the lion's den. And when he comes near the den, he calls out to Daniel, Now, that alone is a little bit crazy. He calls out to Daniel, the one who was supposed to have been eaten by the lions. And it says he calls out in an anguished voice, and he says, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Before we look at Daniel's response, look at the words that that man spoke, this pagan king. Why? What would make him speak like this? It was the life of Daniel, his faithfulness, the life that he'd lived. It was known and noticed. And then Daniel answers him in verse 21, O king, live forever. 
My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. Nothing. The king was overjoyed, and he gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. Again, look at the reason there was no wound found on him. Because he trusted in his God, his life of faithfulness. Then we see the king. And it's almost like, in my imagination, the king runs out there after spending this horrible night of sleeplessness, not being able to eat, just worried about Daniel. And he runs there and he cries out to Daniel and then he hears Daniel's voice. And I think about that moment, somewhere in there, his joy and excitement about what happened was replaced by the the realization of how he had been manipulated by these leaders that were supposed to be serving him. And they come and get their comeuppance. He says at the king's command, all those who falsely accuse Daniel not just them themselves, but their wives and their entire family were all thrown into the lion's den. And then it says they didn't even hit the floor. Before, and it says all of their bones were crushed by the lions. The enemy's plan was totally defeated. And then in verse 26, King Darius issues another decree. He says, I issue a decree that every part of my kingdom people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. And then the chapter closes by telling us once again, and Daniel prospers his life of faithfulness, a life of faithfulness that had been going on for nearly 70-plus years. One of the things that we need to understand as we read this story, and as I mentioned last week, it's not exactly chronological as you read through all the chapters. Darius is the king, and he's been the king for a while. Remember last week, when Belshazzar was celebrating and drinking out of the vessels from the temple from Jerusalem, all of a sudden a hand, just a hand, appeared on the wall and started writing. And that was the last night of Belshazzar's life because the Medes and Persians came and destroyed them and he was killed that very night. And now Darius is the king and he has been the king for a little bit of time. And here's Daniel. He's lived this life of faithfulness. 70 years, almost 70 years have passed. Daniel is somewhere probably between 80 and 85 years old now. And he's lived this life of faithfulness for all this time. It would make you look back at this scene and think, Cal, here's this guy. He's had some problems. He's been challenged. It started right away when he was a young boy taken into captivity with the diet and refusing to to violate God's law when it came to his nutrition. Then he was threatened with death because no one could interpret a dream or tell the king a dream. 
And then his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not bow down before this king and before this idol. And they were thrown in a fiery furnace. And yet they survived. And now he's an old man near the end of his life, nearing the end of his ministry. You would think a life of faithfulness like that, you would almost be able to kick back and say, finally, I can just retire. Everything's going to be good. I've earned it. All that I've went through, God is going to let me just have rest and peace. Surely now, my life is going to be one of ease. Boy, was he wrong. And there's some things that we need to learn, and I think there's some principles. And I'm going to try to target just three principles kind of quickly here about having a lifetime of faithfulness. All of us in here at different ages and different walks with the Lord, different years we've been Christians, and hopefully we're developing and trying to develop as the Holy Spirit leads and we cooperate to be faithful when things show up, to remain faithful, when those challenges come into our lives, to be faithful, when we are facing the different lions that are going to be present in our lives, we're going to be faithful. And yet, the lions just keep showing up. And the first principle I want to talk about is this, that the Lord can help us develop a lifetime of faithfulness. We don't have to do it on our own. Good thing, because we can't do it on our own. One of the things about Daniel that's so amazing, when you start to realize and put the whole story together, he's been in captivity for 70-plus years as an exile in a foreign land, and he's remained faithful. His faith has stood the test of time. It's withstood all of the challenges that he's had to face. They could find no wrong in him. Here they're trying to set him up, and they're looking at his life, and all of these people can't find a flaw in his character. They have to resort to trying to attack his faith in the Lord. His life of faithfulness, where did it come from? What were the roots? What was the foundation of developing a faithful life? This is what we need to understand. And I think the first thing that is obvious is he trusted the word of God. He never doubted the word of God. He never doubted the promises of God. Those things were etched into his very nature, his very soul. His life was based on the word of God. When challenges came, you know, you didn't have to sit back and agonize and weigh things out to make a decision. What does the word say? What does the word of God tell me? What are the promises? Here comes a challenge. My very life is at risk. Wait a minute. My life doesn't belong to me anyway. It belongs to the Lord. Everything belongs to him. Every breath that I take is a gift from him. It's easy when his faith and confidence in the word of God never, ever failed. And the second thing I think that was so critical, besides his confidence in the word of God, and this has been a topic that's been discussed. Matthew shared a message on this. They did a podcast on this, and that's his prayer life. His prayer life. The word of God combined with his prayer life developed in him a lifetime of faithfulness. And whether we want to embrace this thought or not, The other thing that really helped were the trials and tests that he went through. Every time you went through a trial, every time he faced one of these lions in his life, and he came out victorious, it built his faith. 
And I think these three things are critical for each one of us as we develop a life of faithfulness to the Lord. We need to know that this is the word of God. It's not like any other book. It's the living word of God that will change our lives, transform our lives. It will guide our lives. It will direct our lives. And then, because God loves us so much, he gave us the Holy Spirit to help us understand it all, to lead us, guide us, direct us, teach us. And our prayer life. I I feel I can safely say some of you are so far ahead of me in your prayer life, I can't hardly believe it. But no matter how far ahead of me you might be or how far behind me you might be, we can all get better. We can all develop the depth of our prayer life and our relationship with the Lord by spending more time in prayer. And I won't go into prayer so much because it's been covered so well by Matt and Casey and Glenn and the podcast and in the sermons, but just spend time talking to God and listening to God, our prayer life. So where do you start in developing a life of faithfulness? Well, that's easy. That's easy. And I would pray that none of us have failed to get past this first step. You're not going to develop a life of faithfulness to the Lord until you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. That's number one. And we make it sound sometimes too methodical. Hey, just pray this quick prayer. But it's true. But in the midst of that quick prayer is, first of all, recognizing we are sinners. And we have a problem with sin, and we're separated from God because of that sin. And there's nothing we can do about it on our own. And therefore, we need to know that there is someone who came in our place to take our place, to take the punishment we deserve. The wages of sin is death. Jesus died for us. We need to acknowledge that, that he died for us. We need to make a decision. Getting saved doesn't happen by accident and osmosis. Somewhere along the line, the process, and it looks different for all of us, There comes this point when we have to decide. Am I going to say yes or am I going to say no? We reach that point of decision and hopefully we all say yes and surrender our life to Jesus, to the Lord. It's not ours anyway. Let's let him direct it. Let's let him guide us. That's how we get started on a life of faithfulness. There's no other way. And then there's this follow-up of building a relationship. Once we know Jesus is our personal Lord and our personal Savior, now we relationship build. In church circles, we call it discipleship. Let's become disciples of Jesus Christ. Let's learn more about him. Let's develop the relationship with them. Victory wants to help us do that. We do many different things. Much of the year we have an adult Bible class. We have children's ministry going on right now in these classrooms to do what? To help to build relationships in Jesus. Everything that we do as a church has that thought in mind. How do we draw people closer to Christ so we can truly experience the abundant life that he has for each and every one of us? It takes work. It takes work. If we want to live a life of faithfulness, it takes work. 
Got to put forth a little bit of effort. But the good news is, as soon as we start putting forth any effort, the grace of God falls upon us and helps us. The Holy Spirit helps us, teaches us. The grace of God comes in a powerful, powerful way. The second principle to go along with developing this life of faithfulness is probably the, well, the next two are a little challenging, but this one, understanding the principle that even a lifelong life of faithfulness may result in great trials. I think sometimes we as Christians represent the scriptures incorrectly. I'm going to develop a faithful life. I'm going to love Jesus. I'm going to do everything the best I can. Therefore, I will live a stress-free life. Well, the story of Daniel blows that concept out of the water completely. It's just not true. God is not obligated to keep our life stress-free just because we are living a faithful life. There are blessings, don't get me wrong, but there's still free will and there's still an enemy and things are going to come our way and we are going to face those lions regularly. Just think about Daniel. He had served God faithfully for over 70, almost 70 years in the face of terrible trials and tests and never faltered. You know, sometimes we get this confused. God's primary purpose for us is not to make our lives trouble-free. Disappointed? That's not his primary purpose. What is the primary purpose? It's to conform us into the image of his son, Jesus. And that process can be painful at times, but that's the goal. That's the Holy Spirit's role in our life is to help transform us into the likeness of Christ. Long-term faithfulness, lifetime faithfulness still can result in great trials. And I could go into some specific examples right here in our body. But there can be sickness. There can be death. Marriages can fall apart. Families can seem to disintegrate. It can still happen in the lives of faithful people. But God will never abandon us. We need to realize we can still face that lion's den with incredible trials and tests. But that brings me to the third principle, and that's that God helps us handle those trials and stresses by his Holy Spirit. You know, I read a quote in one of the things I was reading in the last couple of weeks about Daniel and the lion's den. And one of them was the fact that we call it Daniel in the lion's den. Really, it's wrong. It's the lions that were in God's den. I love that. Pretty simple. I like simple things. Daniel in the lion's den, it's like they were in control. It was the lion's place. No, they were nothing but a tool in God's den to demonstrate his power and his authority in a pagan world, in a pagan country. When those guys thought they'd won, they were not in control. Oh, they might have thrown him in the 
lion's den thinking they were in control. They might have rolled the stone in front of it thinking they were in control. They made have made the king put his seal on it so no one could open it because they thought they were in control. But God was in control of that whole situation. Now, if you like to do imagining, this is a great time to do an imagining. Imagine you were there and you could watch without getting eaten by a lion. What do you think Daniel did when he got thrown in the lion's den? Well, my imagination goes to, based a little bit on some facts of his lifestyle, I'm pretty sure he probably started praying. I'd started praying if I had time. He started praying. He probably started praising the Lord. It's like we read in the New Testament, sitting in their jail cells, singing praise songs to the Lord. He probably was singing some of the, the songs from the, from the Psalms. Then if your imagination gets a little carried away, you might even see him petting the little lion and using one of them for a pillow. Who knows? But I don't believe there was a second of fear. Not a second of anxiety, a second of worry. Why? Because his life wasn't his own. And this wasn't the lion's den, this was God's den. And God made a way and gave him strength as he went through this process. You know, my imagination sometimes goes the other way too. What if the lions ate him? What would that have meant? Would that have meant God didn't have the power and the authority? No. I think Daniel's attitude was probably the same attitude as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they're going to get thrown into the fiery furnace. And the king is saying, hey, guys, I'll give you one last chance. You bow down to me and my idol, and you don't have to go in there. You don't have to worry. And their answer was, hey, king, you know what? Our God is able if he wants to. But even if he doesn't, we will never bow down. I believe that would have been Daniel's thoughts exactly. You notice it wasn't Daniel saying he'd be fine. It was the king who said, hey, may your God save you, Daniel, rescue you from these lions. I think it's almost like the king was speaking in faith and Daniel was just being quiet. We need to understand these trials will come and how they turn out is up to the Lord. You know, faith, the faithfulness and the faith of Daniel in this situation. Was his faith saying, my God will save me? Or was his faith saying, God can save me? There's a difference. Believing that God will or believing God can. I believe he believed with all his heart that God can save him. But even if he doesn't, and we go, oh, geez, oh, my gosh, that would be horrible. For Daniel, it would be, wow, the presence of the Lord. This is awesome. Yeah, it was a little inconvenient for a few bites. But it's the victory. Daniel's, it doesn't matter. It's up to the Lord. 
Hard for us to grasp at time. But there's a few scriptures that we need to grab hold of. Romans 8. If God is for us, who can be against us? Do you even need another one? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, throw the lions, let them come. If God is for us, Romans 8, 39, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Oh, you might be able to kill this body, but I'm going to be in the presence of the Lord. What looks like the worst day of my life is going to turn into the best day of my life. Nothing can separate us from the love of the Lord. 1 John 4, 4, greater is he that's in us than he's in the world. Man, just if we believe those verses, if we just believe it, our life is different. It's a life that can become a life of faithfulness. I just love to imagine watching that scene unfold. I mean, those guys that threw Shadrach, Meshach, and the to go into the fiery furnace, they were dead before they were even all the way in the furnace. These guys... When Daniel responded, what would their response have been? Oh, shoot. (laughs) We thought we had him. We're toast. We're bait. We're food. Daniel chapter 6, verses 21 to 23, repeating them from earlier. Daniel spoke to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me, inasmuch as I was found innocent before him, and also towards you, O king. I have committed no crime. Then the king was very pleased and gave the orders for Daniel to be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no injury whatever was found on him, because he had trusted in God. I think that story, for many reasons, it's in the scriptures, but I want us, I think one of the reasons God's got it in there is to let us be reminded continually that was God's den. That was God's den. We look at our trials sometimes and think that God's not in control. God's in control. Don't understand it. Sometimes we don't like it. Being transformed in the image of his son, sometimes for some of us like me, takes a sharp chisel to get rid of some of those rough edges. But God will help us develop a lifetime of faithfulness if we cooperate with the Holy Spirit. But remember and never forget, a lifetime of faithfulness does not guarantee peace and ease. Great trials could come. But most importantly, when those trials come, he will walk through them with us. No matter what. No matter what. We have such let's see. Looking for the right word. And I'll never find it. I'll just make some up. We have such a wrong idea. An overvaluation, if you would of the life on this earth. We look at every tragedy that comes our way and think, oh, gee, this is it. 
This afternoon, we're going to have a funeral for Nick's mom. It's sad. It's tragic. There's a loss and there's grief. But I had the opportunity in the last few weeks to visit with Amy a few times. To ask her about her faith. To hear her speak the words the first time we visited with her and then affirm it with nods and yeses the day, two days before she died. The day she took her last breath was a terrible day for the family. It was the greatest day of Amy's life. The greatest day of her life. If we can grasp that concept, it'll make such a difference in the way we live as a testimony to the world. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I, I'm thankful for your word that is such an encouragement to us, faith-building. May you give us a greater hunger for it, that we would have such an appetite for your word that we never could satisfy it. We would just want to devour it more and more. Holy Spirit, be our teacher. Reveal truth. And we thank you for the privilege we have of praying communicating with you, talking to you, listening to you. Holy Spirit, help us to become better listeners. Lord, we thank you for examples of men of faith like Daniel. But Lord, we're thankful that we get to see the kind of God you are in greater ways through the lives of someone like Daniel. Lord, and I never want to make light of the tragedies, the tragic things we go through, the tests and the trials. Lord, we thank you that you promised to be with us. You promised your grace. We knew every morning your mercies, knew every morning it's sufficient for us. Lord, I pray for each one here who is facing one of those lions in their lives, even today, that you would just wrap them in your arms of love. They would sense your presence, Holy Spirit, in such a tangible way. They would be able to taste of the sweetness of our Lord. Bless them. Strengthen them. Quicken your word in their mind. Lord, I pray that as we go about the rest of today and this week, we do remember Nick and his family. We pray for them today as they say goodbye in the form of a celebration of life for, for Amy, that you would be with them, comforting and encouraging and strengthening them. We pray for the rest of us as we... We do different things that we would truly remember. We are called to be ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ. To go out and represent him. Help us by your spirit to do that well. And Lord, we pray that in all of these things, you get all the praise, the honor, and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.